Annie! Be right there! I gotta finish this row! I can't put down this sweater I'm knitting from this gorgeous handcrafted yarn from Blue Mule Fiber. I get it, the yarn is so soft. Buy yourself a skein at bluemulefiber.com. Hey Annie, what's up? Oh, hey Danielle. I was just meditating on my future home. Oh, you should call my friend Anna Brake. She's a real estate agent at Reese Nichols and makes home buying as enjoyable and peaceful as possible. Sounds like the right agent for me. If you're in the KC Metro or want a connection to an excellent realtor in your area, find Anna Brake at annabrake.reesenichols.com and on Instagram at Anna L. Brake. That's B-R-A-K-E. Whoa, where'd you get that kazoo? At the best toy store ever, Brookside Toy and Science. They have toys, games, dolls, collectibles. I'm looking to buy some geodes and a chemistry set. They sell those too. It's Brookside Toy and Science. Visit them online at brooksidetoyandscience.com. Fun and education all in one shop, staffed by toy experts. Ooh, can we go there now? Yeah, I need a new puzzle. While we're in beautiful Brookside, we should go to Shop Girls. Good call. That shop window is serving cuteness. Mm, great clothes, jewelry, gifts, and accessories priced just right. They've been styling happy women for over a decade. Stop by their storefront in Kansas City, Missouri at 6215 Oak in Brookside East. Or check them out online at shopgirls.com. The Big Cookie is brought to you by proud supporters of Stitching Change. Empowering refugee women and their families. Stitching change into the fabric of our world. Offering one-of-a-kind handmade products. Like that gorgeous purse I see you wearing? Made from reclaimed materials. Available at 10,000 Villages, Unique Finds Gifts, on Facebook, and at stitchingchange.com. Annie! It's me, it's the one. Come on in. This week on The Big Cookie. Annie and Danielle sit down with the author of Calling in the One, Catherine Woodward Thomas. Catherine opens up about her love, loss, and what led her to write the book. Annie and Danielle ask their burning questions and share their biggest transformations, reading through the book and creating the podcast. Welcome to The Big Cookie with Annie Kalaherka and Danielle Anderson. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Danielle. And I'm Annie. And we're the hosts of the Big Cookie Podcast. We're joined today with the author of the book, Calling in the One, Catherine Woodward Thomas. Hi, Catherine. Hi, it's great to be with you guys. It's so great to have you here. Um, So just to start off and for fun, we want to ask you, what's your favorite cookie? Oh, I'm a sucker for a chocolate chip cookie. Me too. I love a classic. Oh, I know. Just fresh out of the oven. Ooh, dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, it's really bad. Uh, We've been looking at a lot of cookies as our podcast is called Big Cookie Podcast based off of your sort of sentiment of not settling for just the crumbs and not waiting for the crumbs, waiting for the full big cookie. So that's where we came up for that. So we've been looking. I love that. I just got chills. Thank you. Yeah. We've introduced Calling in the One to our listeners as we've been working through the book. Uh, but what do you like to say about your work, Calling in the One? Well, the book the book came out in 2004, and I actually just rewrote it. Now, the program is still the same, so you haven't missed anything in terms of the nuts and bolts of the program. But when I wrote the book, it was really the beginning of my teaching career. And I have had the good fortune of working with so many people over these, how many years? 16 years. I think 50,000 people in my classes where I'm actually coaching them. And then, of course, other people have been influenced because the book has sold hundreds of thousands of copies, really largely thanks to you too, I have to say. But um, I think, so the work has grown quite a bit, and I'm excited about the distinctions that we have really leaned into, because I've really gotten very clear about the inner obstacles to love, and how to overcome them, how to both identify them, and then move off of them, so you can create outside of that story, that old story of how love goes for you, and how the patterns tend to play out. And um, so I'm excited that the work is alive. I'm excited that the the work has kind of a field around it. I have people emailing me that they just bought the book, they put it on their nightstand, and 
didn't even open it, but three ex-lovers called them to apologize. (laughs) I hear things like that all the time. So I want to hear your stories too. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That definitely has happened in our process, like different ghosts from the past showing up. (laughs) That that was definitely something I experienced. So just like the second we said, let's read this book. Let's see what happens in this experience. Like that weekend things started to happen and I got... I got an ex-boyfriend show up and it was like, well, they are just coming to me and I am cutting ties and clearing agreements. And uh, it was, it was crazy. Some of the things that I experienced. Yeah. It was really wild. From reading Calling in the One and through your bio, we obviously know you're a wonderful author, a licensed marriage and family therapist teacher and singer-songwriter. I'm, I'm a performing artist. Danielle is a singer-songwriter. We're both kind of performers and of wow. that creative ilk. So we were curious, um, can you tell us more about your creative pursuits and how those influenced your work as a therapist and a writer? Oh, so much. Uh, I mean, creativity has been so woven into my own journey. You know, I became a therapist really from the inside out because I had a lot of I had a lot of toxic relational patterns. Um, I just had a lot of challenges internally. I had uh, addiction. I I had a very bad food addiction. So in my 20s, when I was starting to go into the 12-step program and really try and recover from that, which happened when I was about 25, I started the uh, the addiction when I was 14, Um, I started singing. That's when I really started singing. And it was the creativity that helped me to move grief out of my body and to express things I hadn't been able to express. Um, Creativity also played a role in um, becoming a therapist, the decision to become a therapist, because as kind of a natural progression, one of the principles I really believe in is, is if you want to manifest something for yourself, give it to others. Make sure that others have it, right? So that's always been a part of my healing journey. And at some point when the eating disorder uh, really disappeared after 12 years of very intense work, um, I was so grateful. I said to the universe, I just said, well, what can I do for you? Like, what can I do for the community? How can I say thank you? Because I felt like I'd been given my life back. And what I did is um, a project called In Harmony with the Homeless. I actually created it. And we went down to Skid Row and started running singer-songwriter workshops with people on Skid Row, bringing in professional songwriters to co-write with them. And that's when I discovered that I had a gift now for healing others, that I had done so much work on myself. And then I went back to school and I I decided to uh, you know, formally get all of my credentials and all of the training. But again, just writing the book, I'll tell you what happened. You know, I'm also the creator of Conscious Uncoupling, which came because after Mark and I were married for a decade, we decided to get unmarried, which was, you know, a pretty risky decision given that I was the queen of calling in the one. And I knew that there was going to be a lot of pushback and a lot of feelings about that. And it was, um, breakups are never easy. Uh, It was a very tumultuous time. And... um, but the thing that was kind of the saving piece about all of it is how elegantly we chose to do it, how well we chose to do it. That then became conscious uncoupling. But when a few years after that, when I decided it was time to call in the next one, yeah. I went back and what I did with uh, the CD that's out now, which is called Lucky in Love, and it's out on iTunes and Spotify. And um, it went onto the Billboard charts. It was number one on iTunes in the jazz category. But what happened is I met these beautiful uh, men from Australia, the Corin Brothers, mm-hmm. who are now formerly known as the Kin or the Braves, or now they have a CD out uh, San Francisco, which they're little girl Willow named for them, <laughs> their four-year-old. Um, but they're brilliant guys, and they really believe in bringing out the unsung song in each of us, whether we're musicians or not. But I actually decided to create a CD that was like my vision board. So I'm going to weave the future into existence by creating music. And so just like we would do on a vision board, this is the future I want to create. What I did is the first part of the CD is about uh, breakup. 
then it's about coming back into forgiveness and then a consciousness of possibility and then starting to date and early stages of relationship. The one song I couldn't write was the having of love song. Mm. I couldn't, I got stuck on it because even though I'm the queen of calling in the one, like, you know, all of us get stuck in non-possibility. So, and I know at this point enough to not get wallow in that place, but to reach out to somebody who can really hold consciousness and possibility with me. So I reached out to Isaac Corin, who is one of my co-writers. And I said, Isaac, I'm just stuck here. And I see it's my own non-possibility, like how this might feel. And he just talked me through it. And by the end of the conversation, I got off the phone and I was able to write these lyrics sitting by the fire on a Saturday night, reading David White by the flickering light, I look up and you're smiling. It's only been a year since the night that we wed when we danced till dawn, then lay flowers in our bed as the sun started rising. And then I went on to write the rest of the song, but it was really like this is what it looks like, a day in the life. And David White, for those of you who don't know, is, is a beautiful, prolific poet, gorgeous man. And I met my Michael, because Danielle, you have a Michael. I met my Michael just a few weeks later. And I didn't title the song. We recorded the song, but I didn't have a name for it. Nothing felt right. Mm. Met Michael. And within just a few weeks of knowing him, without knowing the song or anything, he sent me a David White poem. (laughs) And that's when I knew and, and of course, the, the song is now called Michael's Song, and it's on the CD. And uh, so I think that, you know, I think that when, I think what we're talking about with Calling in the One is that life is a creative adventure, that there is no fixed future. There's karma that's kind of going in one direction. There's patterns that going in, that goes in one direction. But we have uh, the opportunity to influence the future. That when we take a stand for something, we declare a future that's not going to happen unless we actually stand for it and begin to co-create it. Um, that And when we do that, that what happens is, is that we begin to grow into the people that we would need to be in order for that future to happen. Mm. That's actually what happens when we declare that future. That future begins to take on a life of its own. It begins to have momentum and you'll start to hear if you're listening in, in your soul, in your heart and soul, the ways that you need to grow in order to meet that date with destiny and also what you need to get rid of in your life. What is no longer appropriate and no longer serving you? Yeah, that's beautiful. I think as artists, we actually were asked a question from one of our listeners, how has reading Calling in the One changed your art. And I'm not sure that I'm, I'm, I'm not making a lot of art now. Like our project has been- The podcast is a a sort of outlet, yeah. But it's really interesting to hear you say that in your, you you wrote songs, your songs became your vision board. Because something I learned working through the book was that I was hold, part of my negative patterns and my negative behaviors were wrapped up in my songs. I I was writing songs about sadness and loneliness and heartbreak and never the hope of something new. Mm -hmm. So that's cool to to even use what we do to bring it. Well, I think this is a really important point, what you're saying, Danielle, because it's, um, I think that's common. And we have to remember that what we focus on grows. Yes. So there is, and I say this as a psychotherapist, there is a time to grieve that's very important in our journey. We do not want to skip over that time. There are things to be angry about. There are things to be heartbroken about. But at some point, the answer to our lives working is not in the past. Who did what to me when, why they did it, how I feel about that, why I'm screwed up now, connecting the dots. If we stay in that, what we're doing is we're reinforcing the traumatized self that we formed in response to whatever is happening. The I'm alone self, the I'm not wanted self, 
the I'm not safe self. But if you lean into the future, you say, what am I actually committed to? And you start to feel into that future. You have to ask yourself, who am I in this future? Right, Dr. Joe Dispenda says, don't tell me about your past. Tell me the story of your future. That's wonderful. And to start to allow the future we're standing for to define who we are today. Yeah. And that's really calling in the one. And there's development. One of the reasons why we keep going over our patterns over and over is because there's missing development. If you were left alone in your home as a child, you were raised by a single mother who was distracted and overworked, well-meaning as she was. She was alone. She felt alone. You were left alone. Maybe you came home to an empty home every day after school. So it crystallized as an I am alone self. And inside of that, what you didn't learn was how do we navigate conflict between two equal adults? How do we do that? Missing peace. So what you do, then you become an adult. You're afraid of conflict because inside the I'm alone, everybody always leaves too. That's the corresponding belief about others. And then you say, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to avoid conflict like the play because that's the beginning of the end. And essentially, in order to be in a long-term relationship and avoid conflict like the plague, you have to self-abandon a lot, which means you're leaving yourself alone. You're becoming a bit of a shell of a person. You're inauthentic in the relationship. So you've now left the other person alone because they're in relationship with someone who's not really sharing not really bringing themselves forward. And studies show that relationships bond by working through conflict. Yeah. Right? So the missing development here is how do I work through conflict? Well, luckily, we're all lifelong learners. And once you identify that, then you can see, oh, okay, I have to learn how to do this in order for this to go differently to create a different story. Um, we both had different challenges and experiences working through the book and and therefore different outcomes. Uh, like you know, Annie, um, <laughs> Annie uh, found the love of her awesome dog, Lizzo, but she found that her uh, something she was really working through was battling depression. And I think you might have felt like your experience was maybe stuck stunted by some other sort of challenges going on. I mean, it also helped to be doing the book in while battling depression in a sense, because it was giving me something to focus on and sort of challenging me to think bigger. But I think this is in the podcast where I say one morning, I'm like, call in the one, can I call on some pants and get out of bed today? Like, (laughs) just like that little thing uh, or that thing of, of feeling like there's a bigger obstacle in my way to looking for a relationship right now. And that is really working on the relationship with myself. So I guess mm-hmm. what I'm, what we were wondering is like, could you speak to the various outcomes of this process? Well, I think people get to the end of the book and they say, Oh, I get it. Calling in the one was calling in myself. Yeah. Because you're right about that. Mm-hmm. That in order to, you know, be with somebody else that it starts with how we are with ourselves. So I'm, you know, grateful you, you, you got there. And I'm also grateful you're bringing up depression. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about whether it was situational depression or if, if this is something that is a kind of a lifelong struggle or has been a lifelong now. struggle um, and situational. I had gotten out of a relationship recently and I think I was, I was sort of coping with a lot of the grief of that and yeah. transitioning. I moved back. I was living in beautiful, sunny Alaska for two months and then I moved wow. back to the Midwest. So it's just, I'm very, I'm just a highly sensitive person. So I'm triggered and affected by a myriad of things. <laughs> well, I think if you're, if you were getting out of a relationship, grief is um, not something to skip over. Yeah. You know, we're we're relational creatures. We have hearts that love. And when a relationship ends, we will feel sad about that. Mm-hmm. And we will need to go through a period of grieving. Um, where we get into trouble 
is that we um, we will very often make meaning of the breakup that goes back into an old uh, wounded story. Mm-hmm. And I think the story of, of, of depression is a deep aloneness. I am alone, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, we really are kind of creatures that are inter- were designed to be interdependent. And if you were really all alone in this world and, and you'd never really be able to get your needs met and everybody would always leave, that would be something to be really depressed about. So we will take very often uh, the end of a relationship. I think I think we do it even if we're the ones who leave because it's funny, feelings are kind of irrational. And if we leave very often, it's because the other person wouldn't do what we needed them to do to stay. So it occurs still as a rejection. Um, I think very often it's easy to slip into an I'm alone story. And I think the heart of depression is that. So one of the things that I've been developing over these years is being able to just name the story we're in. And and the beliefs are in the body. They're not like a cognitive, even conscious things. Very often beliefs were created before we even had language. So they live like an energetic in our bodies, like a heaviness or like an anxiety. And so to be able to put a language to it and to be able then to say like, I, okay, what is this? Where is it in my body? If I was going to give it a mouse, what would it introduce itself as? I am what? Like if it could talk, you know, I'm all alone here. You know, I can't count on anybody. Nobody's ever going to be there for me. And I can never get what I need, no matter how hard I try. That's the story. And then you have to say to yourself, honey, how old are you? I'm 36. Yeah, but I'm saying I'm modeling what you're asking your body. But that part of you that might have that might be like susceptible, vulnerable. Yeah. Depression. How old is she? Mm-hmm. How old is she? Oh, she, well, I mean, she's an immature baby <laughs> that voices. She's, she's a young, yeah, gentleman. she's a young, she's really tiny. She's really tiny. And it's, so it's pre-verbal. The moment you put language on it, you kind of have it a little bit. You create a little bit of distance mm-hmm. and you can remember, you know, that, that Annie that is um, incredibly uh, developed and loving and educated and smart and kind and has tremendous love to give. And even the Annie that is loved by people, because mm-hmm. you have people who would just do anything for you, mm-hmm. right? So you remember that part of you, and that's the you that in your mind, you imagine that you can go pick the baby up. I love that. First thing you say to her is, Angel, you're not alone. I'm right here. Yeah. I've got you. <laughs> I'm crying. Thank know, you, Catherine. That's such a that's a really neat exercise. Yeah. And you have I an remember that. as an enemy. So you're a good care you're that's a natural true. caregiver. Yeah. Care for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And to do that for yourself. There you go. Like you'd know how to do it for Danielle, right? Sure, sure. <clears throat> Is it Danielle or Daniela? Danielle. Danielle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we were also doing the book in the winter, in the Midwestern winter. So lots of dreary days, cold. And we we joked often that it would be much easier to do this in spring when yeah. the sun was shining. <laughs> and if we had waited till the spring, we would have been going through the, the bizarreness of COVID and quarantine oh. and like struggling with that. So have you noticed a change? I know, I know you're doing you're still working with um, clients and and doing seminars. Have you noticed a change now that we as humans are going through this uh, pandemic? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, it's interesting. I just did a workshop, a Calling in the One workshop. That was a three-day virtual workshop. And I have to tell you, I have never been with people who were so present and so deep. Wow. So quickly. It was a joy. We we were able to do so much together in three days because of the enforced slowdown and stillness and get real 
You know, this is, you know, we always hear about, you know, people had a near-death experience and it was the best thing that ever happened or they got cancer. It was the best thing that ever happened. Mm-hmm. When we go through crises, there is an opportunity at the level of soul to go deeper, to go to those next levels. So I'm really seeing people take this opportunity now in a very, in a very, uh, in a way that's very moving to me. And I'm also seeing that the relationships that form now, because people are still dating, they're dating virtually. And then if they want to meet somebody, they're doing creative things like, well, you get tested, I'll get tested, then we'll keep come together, or we'll do social distance dating, you know, that that kind of thing. And but it's almost like being a throwback to a hundred years ago when you had a chaperone and You had to take things slowly and you couldn't bond the relationship too quickly through sex, you know, trying to be close through sex. You actually had to be emotionally present, emotionally available, really get to know somebody, take some emotional risks and um, and bond the relationship for real. So I'm seeing people uh, go deeper, be more authentic, and I am seeing couples get together, which is the good news. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think that is the neat thing about this time and that we hope for our listeners um, and your readers will pick up the book right now while there is sort of this introspective time where things are shut down and there isn't as much distraction where maybe you can take some time for yourself and, yeah. and set some intentions, you know, I think um, it could. it's a really ripe time for that if you take advantage of it. Yeah. Let's talk about me. Yeah, let's talk about Danielle. (laughs) So Danielle's experience finding a romantic partner was really magical for us. It was like the day we ordered the book, we talk about this in the podcast, you, the, like the day after you got the book in the mail, almost, yeah, you met someone and very quickly clicked with him, and then we met. Then we met up, and she goes, "I kissed someone just to make our schedule for doing this whole project." She just said, "I kissed mm-hmm. someone." I said, "You're you're winning." <laughs> I was like, "You're doing it already." So it was like she almost set the intention in process like clockwork. Um, but um, what we wanted to ask, like, what are some of the most exciting stories you've heard from readers of the book and what makes you feel proud of your work? Well, I think what excites me is that the people who feel least likely to find love do. So I, I think we all have our reasons why we think love is for other people and not for us. Right. So, Anna, you're going to have, oh, well, I have depression. So that's, you know, that makes it harder for me. Who wants to take that on? Right. And and for me, I, I have um, some folks in my family who need extra care and challenges. I have a brother who's disabled, who needs a lot of attention and might come live with me someday. So I had that going on, plus my age, the second time around, or even the first time around when I was in my early 40s. Right. So we have you know, we just have all sorts of reasons why we think it's going to happen for other people. Uh, debt or my thighs are too big or um, I have, uh, I have you know, crazy twins who take so much attention or I don't make enough money or, you know, all sorts of, or my crazy family, like whatever the reason is, or I have that scar, you know, but here's what I've learned over the years. None of that matters. None of it matters mm-hmm. that love actually, the grace of love is about taking on the burdens of each other. That's really the grace of love. That's what love is. It's not about being a perfect person. It's about being met in your own humanity and, and seen for who you are and someone extending their heart and their support and their, you know, their, their whole, their whole, um, their whole psyche and soul and saying, I'm right here for you exactly where you are. And let me help you with that. And let me carry that with you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's quite beautiful. So I think, and what that looks like, you know, or I've, I've had, you know, I had one woman who she, the way she did herself, she was like in her late sixties and the way she did herself was almost very nun-like. She, she spoke in a little squeaky voice and she looked down and she had very cropped gray hair and, 
or those little almost like nun shoes and <laughs> could it work for me? And I said, yeah, it could work for you. And don't you know, through calling in the one, like, what do you love? What's your life about? What do you care for? What risks can you take? She joined a poetry group, started writing this, you know, very heartfelt poetry. There was a man there. He wrote his poetry. He was kind of awkward and shy too. And they fell madly in love through their poetry. You know, so I just love things like that because we just have all these ideas. Like if I've been alone for years or if I'm of a certain age or if I'm just not, you know, the most sexy thing on the planet or, and, and it doesn't, it's not really real. You know, it's really about taking a stand and creating a life that we love and getting into alignment and integrity with ourselves. And look, there are also, Annie, I'll just tell you, there are seasons of love, mm. and then there are seasons of solitude. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay? And if you are in a season of solitude, you can still hold possibility in your heart and use that time really productively. Like if you knew this was the last time you ever got to be in solitude, yeah. There's a different relationship to it. There's like a preciousness to it. So solitude is different than loneliness. Solitude means you're really with yourself. Loneliness means you're alienated from yourself. So the goal when you're in a season of solitude is to connect with yourself more deeply and connect with what you're here for, what your purpose is, your circle of love. You know, the people that you love, a lot of us are suffering because we're kind of withholding our love until we meet that one special person. No, love everybody. Love your plants. Love (laughs) your dog. Like, love your neighbor enough to go and, you know, leave some food on their doorstep. I baked some extra cookies. (laughs) I thought you might want some. Just, Just be out there giving your heart. Care about what... You know, care about the people and the things that life has given you to care about. And if you can't care about people, care about causes, care about justice. You've got to give your heart to something. You've got to live with an open heart. And uh, Michael Singer, who wrote The Untethered Soul, uh, the one thing I remember from that, you know, lovely book um, is, uh, I think he really got this right. He said, the secret to happiness is an open heart. Mm. Period. It's not having the house you want or the job that you want or the money that you need or being out of debt or having the perfect body or the perfect lover. It's about having an open heart. And that's something that we can all set an intention for and start to live into and value and cultivate and create a lot of happiness for ourselves and others in the process. Absolutely. I think one of the things we that resonated with us from the book was the concept of universal love and observing it everywhere and feeling it and giving it, whether romantic or not. And that seeped in slowly for me. I think you picked up on that right away, but that seeped in slowly for me because one of my, my, my issues, problems was uh, resentment and, and jealousy and anger towards people who had love. So I was seeing people happy and being mad at them and, you know, cursing them in my head. And I really had to look back and go like, oh, whoa, I, I need to appreciate that. And I think it was even something you said, Annie, of like, people, they have that, which m- makes it even more likely that I could have that too. So like, I should be happy and celebrate that success because um, that means that there's even more of a chance that I'll get it someday. And that's a big thing that I let down is like, uh, anger and jealousy, which I still work on a lot constantly, but that was one of good, good for you. And one of the ways that I really encourage you to work on that is to just ask yourself when you, when you find yourself feeling that way, what am I assuming is true? Yeah. And what might be more true instead? How old is the part of me that's inside that story, right? With compassion, because obviously something was happening where you felt really deprived and you saw somebody else getting what you wanted and you couldn't, you had no means of getting that in, in your, in, in your little person state. So it's, it's, and then again, direct, directly, I'm right here, sweetie. I'm right here. What do you need from me? I love you. You're safe with me. 
right? So you're just always internally with that younger you. What happens in relationship is that we um, we do very often emotionally regress back to that younger self. And unless we already have the practice of handling him or her ourselves, what we do is we start to move into, instead of having a partnership, we're, start, we're making our partner our parent. And we'll start to kind of play out the old story with that person in a way that it, it very often will set that person up to hurt us in the ways that we were hurt as children. And whether that's an actual thing or whether that's an interpretation, I'm not sure. Just And it's just human. I still have it. You know, I'm with my partner, Michael, and, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and I realize, oh, I think Michael is mad at me today because my mother was always mad at me. She was like a teenage mother and she hated that I was born. So she's just mad, 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 mad. She started, that was her base ground. So when I get vulnerable, I just assume everybody's angry with me, just mad. It's like the the air that I breathe. But I know it now and I can see it. And I say, oh, you're assuming Michael's mad at you. Uh, Well, actually, I don't think he really is. And I think if he is, he'll tell you. But I don't think he's mad at you for anything. It's okay. You're fine. I'm not mad at you. I love you. Nobody's mad at you. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> you know, so I'm just happy. I'm just being transparent about just what happened this morning. Just sitting quietly. Oh, I can see that that story is there. And it's an interpretive lens. See, here's the thing about that. If I stayed in that interpretation, likely I would do things to start to make him mad at me. Oh, yeah. Right? Because if you, this is how we're the source of our own experience. So we have these filters, and maybe I would start hiding from him, or I'd start, you know, with, I don't know, withholding something or hiding or being inauthentic. And then he might start to feel uncomfortable. And then he might feel like I'm not really there. And where did I go? And then he's upset about that. Right? So there's a way that we actually create our own experience from where we're centered within ourselves and what we're projecting onto people. So a lot of calling in the one, this is, this is all the stuff that opened up in calling in the one, because what I was looking at, we're looking at what are the contracts we've made in the past with people? What are the resentments we're holding onto where we're still victimized and we're not taking personal responsibility in a way that would have us feel safe that we will never do that again? Or the ways that we're giving our power away that kind of trains people to be disrespectful. But the core of it is, uh, who's the I and I love you? What's the self I formed as it relates to whether or not love is possible for me on a very deep level? It's what we call in Calling in the One, your love identity. Mm. And most of us have a very false love identity Like for me, in this story, it's an identity of I'm bad. I'm bad. And others are, and other people are mad at me. You know, so that's the, that's the kind of relational aspect of I'm bad. Well, how do I show up inside of I'm bad in a way that actually creates evidence of that? So we have to wake ourselves up. Well, what's really true? Well, all of us have the potential to be good and to be bad and you know, the deeper truth is, is that I'm a, I, I consistently choose to be a good, honorable person and to make amends when I make a mistake, which, which allows me to really own that I'm actually a deeply good person and I care about goodness and I'm devoted to goodness and I'm certainly doing my best to be honorable with Michael. That's actually the truth. Yeah. Right? So we have to wake ourselves up all the time is what I'm saying. And then, and certainly... If you're going into a dating situation, it's such a vulnerable situation. And if you get rejected or you get ghosted or, you know, someone who you were hoping is the one turned out just to be someone, not the one, (laughs) you know, know, these are disappointments and disappointments fast track us very often into that false meaning. So we have to stay very and and in order and neediness 
is when you have your needs on top of a false belief that I can't ever get what I want. It's that very often we will shut down our desires and then try not need anything from anyone because God forbid we're needy. <clears throat> but it has to start with consciousness where you say, well, what's really true? Well, I'm worthy of love. And um, I have the power to create healthier, happier relationships moving forward than the ones that I've had. And I am given the gift of being able to influence the future. And I'm a stand for love for myself. So that's what's really true. And how do I show up from there in a way that, you know, when I'm on a first date, you know, if I'm if very different, like, do you love me? Do you love me? Because I'm not really worthy of love or I'm going to try and prove I'm worthy of love from just being centered. And I am a woman who is worthy of being loved. You're going to be, it's like, it's just, just, it's very sexy. It's very magnetic <laughs> to is. be in power center. Yeah, it is. I love that. And then and then you feel what you need from there, and that's just I need I need someone who gets who I am, who is loyal, who has integrity, who shows up. That's what I need. It's kind of enrolling, right from that place. So it all starts in consciousness. That's why I've rewritten the book because I've just gotten a bit more specific about, you can see how much the work has grown. So it's not a different program. And the, and the way that the book is now is awesome. But the new book comes out in uh, the spring and we're taking uh, a bunch of folks through the, the new program as I've created, the new 49-day program starting September 8th. I don't know if you're, this will air before that, but we have a, an in-depth study and coaching collective because I'll be there and my coaches will be there and we'll have people going through the new manuscript and doing it all together. So That's your excellent. listeners are welcome to check that out. Yeah, we'll definitely send them on to that. And I saw you have, I believe, a life coaching training this weekend and that you're doing these online seminars um, what can someone expect from the seminar? I mean, it's obviously jammed pack in, into three days over 49. Well, we don't have this. No, that was last month. So we don't have a three day, but we do have this eight week program coming up in September. And then in November, we start a coach training, which is a six month journey because I partner with coaches around the world and, um, you know, empower them and credential them to be love and relationship coaches using the calling in the one work. And so it's, it's really a wonderful program. And you get to do your own work because I'm a firm believer that we, we have to be living the work in order to really transmit the work. It's, you know, the, the calling in the one, as you guys know, is very rigorous because basically what I'm saying is, leave victimization outside of the room. 100% responsibility. That's the starting point. How am I the source of my own experience? So that means that we're no longer, you know, looking at men are like this, or the dating culture is really screwed up, or my parents messed me up. Like it, it's all about how am I creating this pattern? Because that's where you get the the power, access to the power to do it differently. So I would, I, I require that my coaches are living that question, are inside of that themselves, because it wouldn't really be right for them to be saying, well, okay, 97% is the other person's fault, but what's your 3%? Let's talk about that, right? So, um, because that's, that's where things are going to change. So, um, so it's a pretty vibrant community. Yeah, that's great. And do you notice with people you work with, even those who are willing and um, wanting to be life coaches, do you do you see and observe some resistance? Because I think we even had that at first. It yeah. took us a while to work ourselves into it and really open up. Do you experience that a lot? When yes, and it's a delicate thing because here's the thing. We have been victimized, right? If we're upset about what we didn't get when we were kids, like 
yeah, that's something to be upset about. Like if your parents messed up or your older brother was mean or, you know, and your mother ignored that and didn't come to the rescue or if your boyfriend cheated on you, you know, there's things that like really happened. Somebody lied, somebody did something unethical. So it's not that, and I think it's hard for us because sometimes we're, we're so hardwired for fairness that we'll carry around that grudge as though it's justice wanting to happen. Like, well, if I just let it go, then what happens? So it takes a great deal of faith to do it because you, you kind of have to say, well, yes, that did happen. And um, I'm going to leave everyone to their own karma and I'm going to focus on me. And I'm going to let the universe just kind of play out whatever the universe is playing out with that person. I don't need to be the one punishing that person. I mean, I tell a story in Calling in the One that I think has a beautiful message about about this forgiveness and letting go of victimization. Um, I mentioned the In Harmony with the Homeless Project before, and I had done that project with uh, a gentleman named David who... um, who I had a very kind of complicated relationship with. And we were both very, very devoted to the project and love with the difference we were making. We did it for five years together. But on a personal level, our relationship was very push-pull, very kind of in and out, a lot of drama, trauma. Um, and basically, I played out that scenario where if you're in the room, then the other person leaves and then they come back and you leave. It's just... and we pretty much did that for five years. So it was extremely painful. And I couldn't figure out how to leave the relationship, but keep the project going. And then my worst case scenario happened and the project ended up dying. Like he kept the project when I left him. And then it was dying for lack of activity. He did nothing with it. So it was really painful. And I was really angry. And I was meditating because I had declared in calling in the one, you know, it starts with a, a kind of unreasonable intention. I had set an intention to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. And I'm 41 at the time, no prospects for a husband. But I started to live into that intention as though it were real. And I realized I don't want to bring this baggage into that relationship. I just don't want to bring it. It doesn't belong to the, my next person. I've got to clear it. And I went on a meditation retreat and I'm wrestling with it and I couldn't get over it. I couldn't let it go. I was so mad. And I walked up, I got up from the meditation cushion. I walked outside. It was, it was uh, over New Year's. So it was kind of chilly and the, the, even in Southern California and the, the, the leaves were all off the trees and I looked up and there was a beautiful full moon and I started praying and I was really struggling and I kind of felt I'd been meditating for two days at that point and I kind of felt transported into a different realm of existence and I I felt like there was a surrounded by like a, a host of angels and they spoke to me not like a physical voice but just as this deep knowing but what they said was you are right a great debt is due you but if you continue to hold on to him uh, as the one who's going to give you restitution for the debt, you're blocking us from being able to give you your due. And that's when I just said, okay, I'm going to let it go. And it was it was not long after that that two things happened. One is immediately I started to see my own part, my own 3%, which turned out to be a bit more than 3% actually, because I realized that from, from the very beginning of that project, I had such little belief in myself and I had so many self-doubts that I actually, without knowing him and without negotiating anything from my own, I brought my idea to him and he liked it. And so I just made him a 50-50 owner right off the bat. And then we did the whole thing on his computer because I didn't want to be bothered with the admin. So I didn't want, so I saw like, oh, you just gave your power away out of not believing in yourself. You just gave it away. 
You didn't even negotiate an exit clause for yourself. You didn't give them 49%. You keep 51%. Like there's a million ways you could have done that, but I didn't do it. And then I just kind of, you know, ignored a lot of how that was happening, that he ended up getting full control over it. So I, I had to see that clearly. And frankly, it changed my life to see that, that I, that, that, that was the outpicturing of devaluing myself. The other thing that happened is that blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing came into my life on every area and every domain. I met Mark, who I ended up marrying the next year. I got pregnant the organic natural way when I was 43 or 42 and then gave birth to our daughter at 43, came into some money, brought my dream home, wrote a best-selling book, like the whole thing happened inside of that. So, you know, I like to tell that story because I think we are hardwired for fairness and sometimes it's hard to let go of being a victim. But if you're really committed to manifesting a future that's different than anything you've ever known before, it will take your willingness to begin to align with that future and live into that future. Years ago, before I ever wrote any of this, I went to a a seminar that Carolyn Mace was giving. And I do remember one beautiful thing that she said in that seminar. It was a weekend seminar. And she said, it is the natural order of life for us to manifest miracles all the time. And the reason why we're not doing it is because we're so emotionally anchored in the past. Yeah. Right? So it's about really being willing inside of fidelity to that future to let go and to just let let the universe take care of it. Where many of us get stuck in this is that we, when we go to ask how we're the source of something, we do it in a way that's shame-based. Some version of what's wrong with me. Which, by the way, is a covert form of victimization. Oh, I have very low self-esteem because nobody loved me when I was a child. So I'm victimized by now by my own psychology. So what we're looking for is the behavioral aspects. How am I showing up in a way that is demonstrating to people or even pulling on people to disrespect me? I speak in disparaging ways or... These are very subtle things that very often are habitual. Like if I if I speak to you like this, like my name is Catherine, or do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm constantly pulling on you for affirmation. Mm. That's a way that I'm communicating that I don't really believe in myself. Or if I'm kind of loud and aggressive and in your face and you know, because I don't think that you actually want to hear what I have to say. So I have to get really a lot in there and really convince you. That's also communicating that you shouldn't take me too seriously or it's backing you up. That would be a way of being that from someone who has a core, I'm not wanted. They're assuming that nobody wants what you have to offer. So you have to be really aggressive, but it's the aggressiveness that's pushing people away. So it's starting to see all of that. Like you really, how am I? I, the source. How am I the source of being alone? Well, I isolate. Or I'm much more comfortable with being the giver than the receiver. I don't take the risk to be vulnerable very often. Or I avoid conflict like the plague. Mm. Right? All the, or I just, you know, I, I isolate. How am I the source of being invisible? Well, I sit in the back row. I kind of hunch over, I dress down, I don't really raise my hand, I don't share, or I'm hyper-focused on the feelings and needs of other people. I go right into overdrive to take care of them. I self-abandon, I don't even know what I'm feeling or needing. So we have to get very clear about how am I actually creating this? Because that's where you can change it. When you isolate it like that, you say, wow, that's what I'm doing. So what's the new practice? What's the deeper truth, by the way? Well, I didn't come here to be invisible i came here to have an impact and it's my responsibility to presence myself so what's the new development i better try and decipher what i'm feeling 
and then learn how to make that transparent to somebody. Yeah, I think it's a big work in progress. Even though I got Michael, I got, oh, the one, (laughs) I'm still learning to like look inward. And I know, Annie, you're having a lot of experiences that are, that are relative to the book happening. Absolutely. Spinning out. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had, we had, we had a TBD label on my agreement from a high school friend that was like, I call it a Chandler Monica agreement. Like, oh, maybe one day, you know, and he actually like ended up walking right past my house the other day. And I was like, I was like, Hey, Annie. I was like, Hey, and I I was like, you want, you want to chat for a minute? And I broke the agreement. (laughs) So, and he was so cool about it. And we were both, it was like, like, and that was such a weird little thing. It didn't even feel like it was really weighing on either of us, but it's, it's there. You know, I think a lot of what we uncovered in the work and, and you probably, you know, in your experience, obviously there's, there's a lot of little things that you realize that you hang on to that are odd or off, or, you know, it may not be the agreement with that person exactly, but maybe it's the attitude towards just in general, like that, that attitude I was carrying as a young person that, oh, um, that if I don't find someone by the time I'm 40, I definitely need to settle for, you know, just some friend or someone who's not, doesn't really light me up like that. You know, not that they're a bad person, but it's a weird, you know, cultural teaching we've taken on. I think. I think it's beautiful what you shared that you got to see. Well, the thing about agreements is that they serve as intentions that we set. Yeah. Right. So what do you want to share what the agreement was? Oh, it was, it was that, you know, if we're single when we're 40 and we don't have anybody else, maybe. Oh, you made that agreement as a teenager in high school. I mean, it was a flippant thing, you know, and that's why we kind of laughed about it in our, in our talking about it. Cause I barely remembered it, but then, you know, but it was still kind of there like, Oh, well, huh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had an ex boyfriend who I kind of was holding a space for like maybe this will work out someday send me an email and be like hey I've been thinking about you lately and he was someone I hadn't talked spoken to in several couple years so there was the option to kind of like ignore it or say hello I cannot do this anymore it has to be over and and that was like a really big significant thing that that just showed up I think it was week three that's amazing that's beautiful well time trajectory has has been different but we're both still working through after having done it and still seeing the effects of things I mean my dog alone is calling in love I know all of my neighbors now (laughs) oh (laughs) that's great just neat sorry what were you gonna say well that that that, lo- that we pray for love, we hope for love, we wish for love, but but love has to happen through us. So we, you know, life can only change through the different choices that we make. So what you're both demonstrating is the new ways of showing up in alignment with the future you're committed to. Um, Danielle, were you 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 took that as an opportunity to graduate? to set a boundary, to show up differently than you'd ever shown up before. And Annie, where you took that opportunity to create a new agreement, which is uh, really an agreement to have what lights your heart up. Yeah. That's the, that's the agreement you made. The new agreement is to be faithful to the possibility of that in such a way that you compel life to bring it to you. Ooh, that gives me the chill. We really feel like we couldn't have obviously done it without you, without your words and and the calling in the one book. So we're just eternally grateful for what we've learned from you and for taking the time to speak with us this afternoon. We're really excited to get to meet you and talk to you. And we're we're running short on time, so I I don't want to keep you. I know you have a busy day and many more lives to change. (laughs) Thank you. But if you're ready to sign off, we can. If there's anything else um, you want to add, you have a website, KatherineWoodwardThomas.com. KatherineWoodwardThomas.com. And that has information about the eight-week 
journey where I'm there live with you every week. Um, and there's an online component with coaches every day available. Um, and we also have a callingintheone.com website where you can download a free starter kit. So we'd love to have you taken up uh, advantage of that too. But it was great to be with you both. Thank you so much. Just sending you my love. Thank you again for your You're time. You're welcome. You're welcome. Lots of love, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a great Bye. Thank you to our special guest and author of Calling in the One, Catherine Woodward Thomas. For more information on Catherine's books, music, and in-depth seminars and coaching, visit catherinewoodwardthomas.com. You can also grab your free Calling in the One starter kit at callingintheone.com.